Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Romans chapter 1. And we, we have been reading together verses 1 through 7. And verses 1 through 7 are an introduction to the book of Romans. Uh, it's it's the, the opening verses. The Apostle Paul introduces himself. And, and then what we're going to look at today is he immediately goes into a, a description of the gospel and his intentions of the gospel as you continue through the chapter. Uh, now, Specifically, what we're going to look at today is verse 2, but let's read verses 1 through 7 together. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we sure love you and thank you for loving us and being so good to us. You're so merciful. You're so gracious. Thank you for being a haven. Lord, so many in this world are hurting and, and they're in sorrow and they have so many desperate needs and they have nobody to turn to. And uh, we're sure thankful that we saw not, even as others who have no hope, we can turn to you. You're our refuge. You've instructed us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And uh, Lord, we're so needy. I imagine we should probably spend far more time before the throne of grace asking for your help and your leadership and your guidance. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom. Pray you'd help us to be the people you'd have us to be. And Lord, that our lives would be pleasing to you. Please bless this church. Help those who are still sick and recovering and going through so many different ailments and, and just physical issues with the breaking down of these bodies and in this sin-cursed world. Pray you'd have your way. And uh, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified through it all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So what, what we're going to look at tonight, if you go back to verse 2, 
and, and just for those that are just coming, let's go back to verse 1 and just do a quick walkthrough. Um, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. So as, as we've talked about a few times, the, the significance of the, the, this opening verse in the book of Romans, you, when you go from the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, God dealing almost exclusively with just a few exceptions with Israel. Then you pass from Malachi. Malachi doesn't end too well. God's not too happy with Israel. But God literally tells, tells Israel, I have nothing else to say to you until Elias comes. You have the law of Moses. Just, just obey that. Follow that. I don't have anything else to do with you. And so he was, there was nothing from God, no word from God until John the Baptist came. And then the Lord said, this is, to those who will receive it, this is Elias. Right? That, that's, what, that's what you were waiting for. John came, he introduced Jesus Christ. Then you have the four Gospels, which detail the, 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 the life of Jesus Christ in a body of flesh on earth. Now, according to Hebrews 9, the New Testament technically begins with the death of the testator. Jesus Christ is the testator. If you have a will and testament, when does it go into effect? <laughs> After you die. And, and so I always joke that if your children came knocking on your door before you died and said, what's in the will? <laughs> like, don't worry about it. it does, it's, even if you knew, you're not getting it until I die and don't get any ideas. <laughs> and so, so Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews 9, is the testator. So the New Testament begins with the death of the testator. All right. So Christ dies. He's buried. He rises from the dead. And, and so the four Gospels provide us this sort of intermission, a bridge that gets us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And there could be a lot of confusion if you don't keep that in mind, because the New Testament is fading out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the New Testament is being revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then Christ dies, he rises from the dead, and then we walk into the book of Acts. And many of our charismatic brethren think we're still stuck in the book of Acts. And, and they try and operate as though they can do what was done in the book of Acts, which obviously is, is not the case. The book of Acts is another transitionary book. It's historical. Uh, the Lord said, I, I, you know, I, I, I took you out. I taught you. I showed you. You got all this experience. You got to teach. You got to preach. You got to heal people, cast out devils, all these good things. Now I'm leaving. <laughs> and I want you to figure it out. Put it all together. And, and, and the Lord promised to work with them from heaven, and he, and he gave them the Holy Spirit. But then he left. He ascended back into heaven. So now you've got to go through, and, and you've got to go tell a bunch of people who spent the last four or 5,000 years worshiping at the temple in accord with the law of Moses, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> How do you think that's going to go? Not too well. And so, praise the Lord, he gave them signs to follow, and and, and he told them what would come. He said, I'm telling you right now, they're not going to be happy with you. They have hated me. They're going to hate you. It's just not going to go well. All right. So he, they went and they preached the gospel and they, they, they planted New Testament Christianity in the world. That's the book of Acts. It was a wild ride. All sorts of things happened that you and I will never do, never experience. But then you go from Acts and the first thing you read is Romans. Which is, which is an unbelievably doctrinal book. Its entire purpose, its, its entire focus is, is to help you and I understand what New Testament Christianity is. 
And it deals with every aspect, including Christianity, Gentiles, Jews. Romans 9, 10, 11 deals with what God's going to do in the future with Israel. I mean, the book of Romans is the most, it is the greatest, most concise description and definition of what New Testament Christianity is. And the first thing God wants you to know, first person you're introduced to is Paul. And we, we did a couple of sermons about the, the life and, and, and a biographical sketch of the Apostle Paul. But then the first thing Paul wanted you to know, and the first thing that God wanted you and I to know, is that you're supposed to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And a failure to do that, nothing else matters outside of that. If you, if you know everything else in the Bible, if you're the greatest Bible scholar, if you could heal people and raise people from the dead, but you are not a servant of Jesus Christ, you'd be a miserable failure. You'd be out of control. Nobody would want to hear anything you have to say. I, I gave the testimony in one of the last few sermons I gave that when, when I got saved, so, so I was, I, I'm ex-military. I grew up in Memphis. My, my mom was 16 years old and homeless when she had me. So we grew up in a very violent situation and saw some horrendous things that made me an angry and violent young man. Then I joined the military and became a military trained angry and violent young man. People think they can go to the military and that's going to fix them. That's not going to fix you. It's just, just going to, I mean, I could put my shoes on properly and make my bed, but I was still angry and violent. It didn't, you know, it just, it didn't help that much. I mean, it was a little better, not much better, not until Jesus Christ came along. But then and then from there, I left the military and became a defense contractor and, 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 and was very close to becoming a professional mixed martial arts fighter. I, I was you know, heavily involved in all these things. And, and so then I get, I'm sitting in Saudi Arabia by myself, and I get saved. I trust in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm listening to Adrian Rogers on YouTube. <laughs> and so something good came out of YouTube, and I ended up getting saved. And then I began reading books. And the first year I was saved, I think I read around 100 books. I just, I wanted to learn everything I could about Jesus Christ, everything I could about the Bible, how to study it, how to learn it, how to know it. I just devoured books. So then I became a saved, angry young man with a bunch of head knowledge. And it didn't go well. If you're not a servant of Jesus Christ, if you don't have that humility and some grace and some mercy for people who need it, you're going to cause a lot of damage trying to do the right thing. All right, so the first thing God wants us to know is supposed to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Then after he tells you he's a servant of Jesus Christ, what Jesus said, you're, not, you're my friends. You're not my servant. And, and the reason that's significant is, and, and we talked about it when we, talked, when we preached on this passage to be a servant, the definition of a servant is voluntary subjection to a master. And that's the problem we have in churches today. Nobody wants to submit to Jesus Christ. They just want a little bit of attachment to him. They want to be able to claim that, that yeah, I belong to the Lord, but I'm not really going to do anything he says. They're kind of like Peter. Not so, Lord. That makes no sense whatsoever. You don't tell the Lord not to do something. If he's the Lord, then you obey what he says. You don't give him instruction. You receive instruction. And, and so, and so that, that's, the Lord wants you to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And then Paul wanted you to know that he's called to be an apostle. And then he wants you to know he's separated unto the gospel of God. All right. Now, that's separation. We talked about separation in the, one of the past few sermons. I don't um, have a... I don't, 
clearly remember everything that we've preached and talked about from here. I recorded most of it, so it'll be online sometime in the next week or two, Lord willing. But um, separated under the gospel, the, the, that, that separated unto is essential. You can't just be separated from something. You have to be separated from it and then unto. So you got to be separated from that which is evil and bad and wrong and, and ungodly, but then be separated unto that which is godly and good and Christ-like. It's, it's not good enough. And this is our mentality is we have a list of things you can't do, places you can't go, people you shouldn't be around. Okay, well, what's going to replace that? And if you don't replace that with something good and godly and wholesome, it's, you're going to end up in a worse situation than when you started. And that's the problem that 90% of people have. They're going to independent Baptist churches, again, that mean well. I'm an independent Baptist. I love independent Baptists. I feel like I have to say this so somebody didn't get their feelings hurt. But they focus on the negative and don't provide a plan for the positive. And if you don't balance that out, what you're going to have is a bunch of legalistic, miserable people that remove stuff from their life. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. But they never replaced it with anything helpful. That's not good. And so then seven devils come along and and move back in and and say, hey, man, look what we got. (laughs) And and that's not what you want. That's, that's That's not going to be helpful. That's not going to be good. And so he has separated under the gospel. But then look at verse 2 which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, you'll notice verse 2 is, is both in parentheses and has a comma on each end. It's a parenthetical statement. That, that means the way, the way th- this verse would read without, without it is, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the statement. Starting in verse 3, it would jump over to verse 3. But the Lord wanted you to know something about that gospel. It didn't just arbitrarily show up. It wasn't just like, man, we got to think of something. Oh, I know. How about the gospel? It was promised long ago and prophesied by the prophets. That means this has been a, a, a long time come in and in the works for a while. And, and we're going to look at some, several examples of that, and, and, and we could look at hundreds and hundreds. I have a book at home that has 1,000 types and pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And that's probably a very shallow, <laughs> uh, incomplete reality. I mean, you could spend years going through the types and the pictures and all the things that show up in the Old Testament that tell you of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, either his first time or his second time. Both are there. And, and so we don't want to miss either one. So verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the Apostle Paul informs us he is a servant. He is an apostle. He is separated under the gospel. And after a very brief introduction... Do you see that? What, what, what else is mentioned about the Apostle, Apostle Paul after this? After verse 1, nothing. Other, I mean, the only thing I can think of, he says, I wanted to come see you and preach that gospel, the one I've been talking about, but I was let hitherto. That's it. He says, I, I, I've never been to this church at Rome. I want to tell you who I am. I'm Paul. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle, and I'm separated under the gospel. That's it. Nothing else. 
So when men get in pulpits and say, well, I mean, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and uh, I have a long list of things you need to know about me. Well, one of the greatest Christians to ever live didn't feel like that was necessary. And, and, and neither do I, praise the Lord. So uh, he, he has separated unto this gospel. But the, the, the first thing he wants us to know about this gospel is that it was promised in the Old Testament. When it says, which he had promised before by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, what's he referring to? There is no New Testament. In fact, when he sits down to write this letter, he doesn't even realize he's writing the New Testament. (laughs) As he makes the statement, he's pinning down New Testament Scriptures, but the people he's writing to don't have it. So when he says these things, he's referring back to the Old Testament. And, and, and again, we're, we're going to see that. We're going to look at that tonight um, if I ever get to it, Lord willing. And so the good news that the Apostle Paul intends to proclaim was prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, that's why I came. I came to fulfill all that was said of the law and the prophets and all that was said in the Old Testament. All that is, is for me to take up and to accomplish. The first advent of Christ was prophesied in the Holy Scriptures. When the Apostle Paul would preach the gospel, so is the second advent, by the way. It's, it's, they're both made very clear. In, in fact, just in, in the book of Daniel alone, it talks about the coming of Messiah, the prince, and that he'd be cut off. Well, that's his death on the cross. Well, then Daniel, Daniel also talks about the coming of, of that rock that's going to come and smash the Gentile powers and establish a kingdom on earth. Well, that's his second coming. All right, so the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, you, you can read about his first coming and his second coming. Um, but the gospel is going to be primarily focused on his first coming. That's why he came. He didn't come to set up a kingdom the first time he came. Now, he offered the kingdom to the Jews. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. That was a big mistake. Now, what would have happened if they would have received his offer of the kingdom? We don't know. They didn't receive it. (laughs) Now, I have friends. I know people that have entire doctrines built on what would have happened if the Jews would have said yes. But they didn't say yes. So it's all conjecture. It's all made up. You don't know what would have happened. Now, what we do know is that multiple times in the Old Testament, God prophesied that Jesus Christ is going to die. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to be cut off. He's going to die on a tree. He's going to be nailed to a tree. It tells us all these things about the death of the Messiah. It has to be fulfilled. So what would happen if they just said yes? We don't know. (laughs) And we're not going to speculate. We do know that when he came the first time, he came to die. If he establishes the kingdom and he doesn't pay for sins, you are yet in your sins and you have no hope. We're all going to hell. All right. But he did die and was buried and he rose again the third day. Praise the Lord. That's what he came to do. But the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, we're going to look at Philip. We're going to look at several people who felt it was essential especially to people who had a relationship with the Jews. It was essential to tell them Jesus Christ fulfilled this prophecy of old time. Jesus Christ fulfilled the scriptures that were prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, we'll look at one place, or I'll just mention it. I don't think we're going to go there. But when Paul, 
Um, I don't think I have it in my notes to go there. If we go there, praise the Lord. If we don't, then praise the Lord. But when Paul preached on Mars Hill to, to the, in, in Athens, he made no mention of the Old Testament because he's dealing with a bunch of philosophers, Greeks, Gentiles, and they have no relationship to the Old Testament. So what he tells them is there is a creator and that you need to submit to that creator. And by the way, that creator came and died for your sins. And that's what he preaches to people that have no relationship to the Holy Scriptures whatsoever. But if he goes to Thessalonica, which we're going to look at, he goes to the synagogue of the Jews. And he says, Jesus is Christ. He fulfilled the Old Testament. And, and, and when Peter, Peter goes to Cornelius. We're going to look at that uh, if we have time, if we get to it. Peter goes to Cornelius, who has a relationship with the Jews. He is a Roman centurion and, and uh He's this Italian man, and, and so he, ha he has some sort of authority over the Jews and seems to have a close working, working relationship with the Jews. And because of that, the Apostle Paul tells him about Jesus Christ fulfilling the Scriptures. It's, it's essential to point that out, or that they felt it was essential. So let me show you a few examples real fast. Turn to Acts 13. Acts 13, and uh, we'll read. We'll look at a few of these and get as much as we can out of it and and then try to wrap it up. We'll read verses 16 through 41. And, and I, I put this entire passage in um, because it makes multiple references to this idea. This is the Apostle Paul preaching. Uh, verse 16, Then Paul stood up and beckoning with the hand said, Men of Israel. So who is he talking to? He's talking to Jews. Israel. All right, and so he's going to make direct references to, to Jesus Christ fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures because that's it, it will appeal to them. They need to know this. All right, so men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm brought he them out of it and about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed Seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Now, every step of the way so far, he's going over the history of Israel. And it's just, it's drawing those Jews in as he, he just goes, they're like, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. But then he's going to get to Jesus and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. Verse 21, and afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. Now we're going to start seeing the crossover. In fact, he's going to pretty much jump from David to Jesus. And there's a reason. Their king to whom... Also, he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, right? What, what did Romans 1, 2 say? That it was promised afore, raised unto Israel a Savior. Well, who is that Savior? Jesus Christ, our Lord. 24. When John had first preached, so he just... He just jumped from David to John the Baptist. <laughs> All right, so 
Uh, but but uh, I guess maybe he's short on time or maybe he cared about time. One of those two. When John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham. And whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. The, the voices of the prophets. Now, what does that matter? Who cares if the prophets are read every Sabbath day? Well, the prophets are going to tell the pro, Romans 1, 2. He said that it was promised afore by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And now Paul is saying, if you, you heard the prophets read every, every week, and, 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 it, and it, didn't, it didn't have any effect. He said every day, every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, for, and, and you see that, right? When they had fulfilled all that was written, well, where would that be written? In the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus Christ. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up uh, uh, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you the glad tidings, how that the promise, the promise which was made unto the fathers. Well, who would the fathers be? In Hebrews 1, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's, that's Israel, the, 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 the fathers of the Jews, the forefathers of, of the men that we're talking about here. And God said that he made a promise unto them and that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that promise. Verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again as it is also written in the second psalm. <laughs> Where would that be? Old Testament. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Well, who would that be? Jesus Christ. All right. So the prophet, David is having this conversation with God about, and he's thanking God for not leaving his soul to be corrupted. Well, David didn't know he's prophesying about Jesus Christ. And, and, and verse 38, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. So here we are again, just repeatedly, he's just hammering this idea. Let's look at another one. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We'll look at another example. We'll look at a few more examples, and then we'll... We'll, we'll close out. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through, through 43. Verse 34. And this time Peter is preaching. Verse 34. 
Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Uh, that, that word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, and with power. Now, you notice where he started with Jesus. He didn't go back to the Old Testament, right? Now, he's going to mention it because he's in, in this passage, he's dealing with Cornelius. Cornelius has a close relationship with the Jews, so he has some understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. But because he's dealing with a Gentile, he goes straight to Jesus Christ. He doesn't go through Old Testament history and Old Testament prophecy and, and, and all these things. As you're dealing with Gentiles, all they know is if you don't make God happy, he's going to hurt you. <laughs> That's all Gentiles understand about God. All right, And so he just jumps straight to Jesus Christ. Uh, back to verse 38. Uh, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. That'd be something to be able to say. Right? People, people come to Africa all the time and they want to eat weird foods. Like in, in Uganda, they eat crickets and they eat, uh, they call them white ants, but they're, they're termites, these huge termites. And, and, and so they want me to eat them. I'm like, I'm not eating that. And so Americans come and visit and they say, but don't you want to say you did that? Like, no, I don't want to say I did that. I don't understand what's appealing about being able to say I ate a cricket or a grasshopper. It's grasshopper. They eat grasshoppers. Sorry. If Brother, Gross, if Brother Gross was here, he would correct me. It's grasshoppers. And so um, you know, it'd be something to be able to say, I ate with Jesus after he rose from the dead. I'd like to be able to say I did that. But I ate monkey brains? No, I don't want to be able to say I did that. That's just not, that's not something I want to put on my list of things to say. Verse 42, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead, to give all the prophets witness that through his name, Whosoever believeth on him shall receive remissions of sins. Now, who prophesied? Who gave witness to that? The prophets. He's talking to a Gentile. But again, this Gentile has, has some understanding of the prophets. So he makes this reference that, that, again, this is not just, we didn't just make this up. Peter says in one of, one of his epistles, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We didn't just sit around a campfire and make this up. It was prophesied long ago. Then Jesus came and did what God said would happen. To the T, every step of the way. I mean, Jesus hanging on the cross and say, okay, that's fulfilled. That's fulfilled. That you're hanging on a cross and still making sure that everything gets fulfilled. I mean, that, that's, that's how God does things. He can, he can do that. Um, let's look at another one. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and, and Philip, um, actually, I think I want Acts chapter 8, but Miss Pat made me write down the wrong, okay. the wrong uh, information. Yeah, 
Disclaimer. <laughs> Acts chapter 8. Now I get, all right, So now Philip is going to go preach to an Ethiopian eunuch. But this Ethiopian has come to Jerusalem to worship, which means he has a strong understanding of the law of Moses and the Old Testament, right? Now, what's he reading? Isaiah 53, which is, which is an unbelievably clear expression of the coming of the Messiah to die. That's all it's about. The whole, the whole chapter. And why did he die? Every, every step of the way in Isaiah 53, it was for you. He, he, his, he took lashes for you. He, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's despised and rejected of men. All that for you and for me. Not for himself. He did nothing wrong. All right, and so this is what's amazing. Let, let, let's read that. We'll read verses 26 through 40, or we'll read as much as we can. Verse 26, chapter 8, verse 26. And uh, now, now listen to how, how this, this breaks down. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way um, that goeth down from Jerusalem unto, unto uh, Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning... And sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Now listen to this question. Understandest thou what thou readest? That's a good question. Now what, what's even better is the response. Look at verse 31. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? Now, that's the attitude people should have with the Word of God. Now, in America, somehow, everybody became a theologian. Everybody has an opinion, and what's worse is they think their opinion is valid. <laughs> and it's not. An a NASA engineer doesn't want my opinion on how to build a space rocket. And if I go and I start offering to him, well, I think you should do this, he would say, well, yeah, thank you. Security? <laughs> Get him out. But everybody wants to walk in the church and demand that the church be run and operated and preached and taught and do all these things in accord with their theological expertise, which is based on what exactly? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, how can I, unless some man should guide me, Americans don't want to let some man guide them. They think, well, I have the Holy Spirit. Well, it hasn't helped you. <laughs> Look at your attitude and the way you're acting and tearing a church apart. All right, so that, that, how can you say I have the Holy Spirit at the same time that you're causing disturbance in a church based on your opinion? All right, that doesn't reconcile. All right, so the, the attitude, the spirit we should all have is I need somebody to teach me. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to guide me. Right, and that, that's, that's a biblical attitude to have. And the Ethiopian eunuch had that attitude, which is a blessing. Verse 31. And he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before the, his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. And his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And, and who shall declare his generation for his life? is taken from the earth. That's Isaiah 52. 
53. That's Isaiah 53. And so verse 34, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. Now, where is he reading from? Isaiah. Where is that located? Deep in the Old Testament. And what does Philip do? He opens Isaiah 53 and preaches Jesus from the Old Testament. Now, is the name of Jesus mentioned in the Old Testament? No, it's not mentioned. There there is no mention of the name Jesus in the Old Testament. And yet Philip opened Isaiah 53 and preached Jesus from the Old Testament, which is incredible. Now, can you do that? Can you demonstrate to people from the Old Testament that Jesus is Christ? Let's look at another example. There's a lot more to read there and a lot of fun we can have in that passage. But for sake of time, let's go to Acts 17. Acts 17, let's read verses 1 through 3, and, and, and look at this. Verse 1, this is, this is Paul again. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Adoloniai, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay, so what do you think he's going to do? He's going to start with the Old Testament. He's dealing directly with the Jews, someone, people who understand, have a relationship with the Old Testament. So he's going to go straight to the Old Testament and deal with them. Verse 2, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and raised again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Now, what did John chapter 4 say about the word Christ? What does it connect it to? Anybody remember? It, it connects the word Christ to Messiah. That woman said, I know Messiah's cometh, which is Christ. So Messiah, Old Testament, Christ, New Testament. Messiah, Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, so we, we talked a few weeks back about how the, the, the structure of the name is important. So he's the Lord, which connects him to his deity. It tells you he's God. Jesus is the name of his humanity. It's the name he received when he came in a body of flesh. Christ connects him to the Messiah and King. All right, so, so the, the, the Jesus we believe in is the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Islam believes in a Jesus, wrong Jesus. He's not God. He's not Lord. They'll tell you he's Christ. They'll tell you he's, he's a, a great prophet, but he's not God. That's wrong Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus. It's the wrong Jesus. The Mormons believe in a Jesus. Again, they believe Jesus is the brother of Satan. Now, where you got that from and what you were smoking when you came up with it, I have no idea. But they believe it and they teach it. And and so it's the wrong Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul opened the Old Testament in the synagogue. And for three Sabbath days, it wasn't just a one-time event. He went on for days reasoning with them from the Old Testament that Jesus is Christ. Can you do that? You should be able to. 
And if you stay here and, and you let me teach you and we learn together and we grow together, you will be able to because it's essential. Because numerous places we've seen so far tell you the gospel you're supposed to preach came from the Old Testament. We'll prove it. I know. Uh, I'm going to start calling on people. You ready? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's important. Right? Because we, we want, we have, people have to know, I, I joke all the time, I, I'm going to go out on the street on Saturday, and I'm going to talk to a complete stranger, and I'm going to tell him, this man was born of a virgin, and then he died for you before you were ever born, and he was buried for three days, and then he got up and walked out of the grave, and I need you to believe that. And they're going to look at me like, you need to go to the hospital, because you're an insane person. And I get it. I understand that. But God expects them to believe that. And if I can open the Old Testament and I can demonstrate to them place after place after place. Here's Jesus here. Here's Jesus here. Here's Jesus here. Here's his death. Here's his burial. Here's his resurrection. Here's his first coming. His second coming. And then I go to the New Testament and demonstrate how he fulfilled all that. That's pretty hard to argue with. Now, now that book has become... In their eyes, whether they, they choose to believe it right then and there or not, there's something to it. Now it's, now it's something more than just an empty book. There's something about that book. They may not be able to explain it, and that's okay. But you get them a step closer because you're able to show them from the Word of God that Christ fulfilled to the T, exactly as, as God promised in the Old Testament. All right, just a few more quick stops, and then... And then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Now, the idea that the gospel was prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament is vital. Uh, the gospel was promised afore. So if you think of that woman's seed in Genesis 3, that's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ that he fulfilled. If you think about when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him, and God said, Isaac says, well, we, have the fi- we have the wood, we have the altar, but where's the lamb? And Abraham, I mean, listen to the wording. It's so, that's why, we, that's why I love this book. It's why it's so important to have a King James Bible. And I know people whine and cry. Why do you got to emphasize that? Because it's essential. The wording, Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. He didn't say he's going to provide himself a lamb. God's going to be the lamb. And then they look over and there's a ram in the thicket. Waiting for them. All right, so, so that all this is just, it's, it's a picture, it's a type, it's, it's telling you Jesus is coming. Uh, then, then you get to the, the prophecies of the Lord's birth. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be virgin born. You know what all the, okay, so again, an emphasis on the King James Bible. You know what all the modern Bibles say in the Old Testament? That a maiden is going to have a child. Well, that's miraculous. <laughs> I mean, we've never seen that happen before. Now, you, you show me a virgin that's had a child. That, that's something notable. All right, so, so that's, that's why we just we stick with the Bible God gave us, and, and we don't make any beef of that. All, all of Isaiah 53, the whole chapter. Uh, at one point, we had it memorized. My wife might still have it memorized. Um, it's worth memorizing. If you're not familiar with it, you should be very familiar with that chapter. It's an incredible chapter about, about the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the list could just go on and on and on and on and on. We could be here all night. Uh, turn, turn, let's make two more quick stops. Look at Revelation 19, and then we'll be done. 
Revelation 19 and verse 10. This is very interesting. Revelation 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is the point and purpose of prophecy? Jesus Christ. All of it. it he is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy. He is the purpose. He is the reason. The, the whole reason God set all this in motion is to bring about eternal redemption for people who did not deserve it and he had no other way. We talked about uh, a few weeks ago, we, we, we went through, we defined the gospel clearly from the word of God. And when you read Romans 16, it says, for I am not a, Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Without the gospel of Christ, there is no access to salvation. There, there's nothing. You have no hope. You're, you're, you're just... We're all going to die and go to hell if there is no Jesus Christ. But the entire purpose, the entire point of prophecy is to tell you that Christ is going to come. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to, he's going to be buried. He's going to rise again the third day. And then the prophecy continues and tells you he's going to go back to heaven. He's going to work with his church from heaven. And then when the church age comes to an end, the tribulation is going to start, the time of Jacob's trouble, which, which is an issue for Israel. The church will be long gone before then. And then we're going to come back with him, and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. That, that's, that's, that's prophecy. That's what it's, that's, that's the, you don't have to go buy a book for $39.99 or a video or a movie or any of the stuff that people are trying to sell. And they're like, oh, there's a war going on in Israel. When has there not been a war going on in Israel? Right, so that, that's, it's not the fulfillment of prophecy. It's just, it's just another thing that happens to Israel because everybody hates God's people and they want to take their land. Why would you want that land? It's, it's a, I, I lived in the Middle East for, for about seven years. It's, it's a disaster zone. It's hot. It's dirty. The, the only thing people want, the only reason they want Israel's land is because God said it belongs to Israel. There's no other reason. How come you're not trying to take Costa Rica? I mean, that seems like that'd be more profitable. <laughs> uh, you know, give me like Brazil. Brazil's huge and beautiful. Instead, you want to go fight and take a dust bowl. So I, I, I don't get it. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3. This will be our last stop, and then we will, we will be done. 1 Peter chapter 3. No, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, we'll read verses 3 through 12 real fast. And this will sum up. The reality of this situation, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth uh, through, through it be tried with fire, 
might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see, see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, he's going to shift gears here. He brought up the magic word. All right, so, so you're going through trouble, but you still, you're still you sticking with Jesus. You're trusting in Jesus. I know it's hard, but he brought about the salvation of your souls. He's going to say something very interesting about that salvation. Verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. You see what he's saying there? Look at verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them. Now, what do we say about the Spirit of Christ? It, it is, it, it's the foundation. The testimony of Christ is the Spirit of prophecy. All right, so it's, it's tying all this together. Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow, uh, not, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you what the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. All right, so here, here, here's what he just said. The prophets wrote these things and had no idea what they wrote. They looked into it. They asked God about it. They searched diligently. They said, what? You know, you can imagine Isaiah writing Isaiah 53 about the Messiah and then putting his pen down and saying, what is this? And God said, that's not for you. That's for somebody that's going to come. You just ministered to people who are going to come in 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years from now. And he said he, he, he used the prophets to minister to us something that they wrote but wasn't for them. And that's where we are today. That's how important the gospel is. That's how meticulous God was about it. And that's why it's so important that we make sure everybody gets an opportunity to hear it, read it, look at it, think about it, something. We can get a tract in their hand, a sign in their face, our voices in their ears. Whatever it is, we got to do everything that we can to try and get the gospel to a lost and dying world that God cares about and sent his son to die for. Make sense? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for being so, so good to us. We're so needy and undeserving. And uh, Lord, you've just been so wonderful to us. Thank you for your word. It's so exciting to study and to see these things and to learn and grow and gain understanding. And pray that you'd help us to never, never lose sight of that and to always love your word and, and always desire to study it. Thank you for the people who came out tonight. Pray you bless them. Bless this church. Help it, Lord, to, to grow with quality in mind and a focus on your word, a focus on a love for Jesus Christ, a focus on a love for you. And uh, we'll sure praise you and thank you for it all. Thank you for your goodness. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media.
Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.